Bishop to b6. Queen to b3. Checkmate, Captain. <laughs> Damn robot beat me again. Do not worry about it, Captain. My mind is that of a quantum computer, and thus I am able to predict all possible moves that you will play, making it impossible for you to ever triumph against me in strategic endeavors. That is, unless you ask. Queen to b3. Checkmate! Congratulations, Captain. You have triumphed. Ah, uh, yes. Another win for the captain of the SS Endurance. What a joyful occasion. Oh, a new episode of the Osho must have just been released. Let us revel in the magnanimity that is the Osho. Welcome to another episode of The O Show. And for this episode, the third episode, I have prepared something interesting, something quite interesting indeed. Um, but before, before all that, I want to get into the five pieces of news that I've gathered for this episode. The first one is uh, related to archaeology and the title of the article is Pioneering research directly dates the earliest milk use in prehistoric Europe. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. So basically a new study has shown milk was used by the first farmers from Central Europe in the early Neolithic era around 7400 years ago advancing humans ability to gain sustenance from milk and establishing the early foundations of the dairy industry 7,400 years ago. That's uh, it's old. There is one thing here. So, led by author Dr. Emmanuel Casanova, who conducted the research while completing her PhD in archaeological chemistry at the University of Bristol, she said, It is amazing to be able to accurately date the very beginning of milk exploitation by humans in prehistoric times. The very beginning. Now, uh, this is something I'm annoyed by generally when you when when especially like this is mainly in archaeology when people find something so say they find a very old jug of wine they say ah we have discovered the very beginning of wine okay maybe it's older you know how do you know like i don't know i feel like it's probably older than 7400 years such as milk yeah i don't know i feel like it, it it's very interesting but i don't like to kind of stamp on it that this is the earliest well Technically, it is. I think I'm maybe being a bit uh, of a stickler with the language she's using. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, a little bit the, the very beginning of milk, milk exploitation. The, it's not the very beginning, you know, if they've gotten to the point where they're able to make the milk, it, it can't be the beginning. The beginning must have been some kind of, I don't know, man. No, I mean, it's just it's straight milk from whatever goat or cow or whatever they used. I don't know. Yeah, so... It's pretty cool. So the the they found these like milk um um these pottery vessels with milk residue on on the inside, and uh, it was basically from farming groups in Central Europe known as the LBK culture or 
Bear with me. Linear band keramic. Linear band keramic? LBK culture. So yeah, they found these 4,300 pottery vessels from 70 LBK settlements and 65% of the sites had dairy fats in the ceramic vessels, which is a fairly common usage of, of milk in, in 7,400 years ago. Um, that's cool. So, first Native American woman in space awed by Mother Nature. Wow, so amazing. I Listen, it's cool. Uh, honestly, it's cool. I'm being cynical, maybe. I, I want to be cynical because it's like, the, the the whole title is just about her being a Native American woman. Amazing, amazing, all that, right? But it's almost like because she's Native American, she somehow has this capacity to appreciate Mother Earth more. <laughs> or awed by Mother Earth. Yeah, so I just find that a bit funny. It's, it's kind of uh, spectacular. You know, there's a paragraph here. Her name, uh, the first Native American woman in space is uh, called Nicole Mann. Um, she's on the ISS now, and she was born in Petaluma, California. There's, uh, yeah, here it says, she said it's important to recognize there are all types of people aboard the space station. It's currently home to three Americans, three Russians, and one Japanese astronaut. Wow, diverse. Space diversity. <laughs> A new AI model can accurately predict human response to novel drug compounds. Now, this is pretty damn cool. Why? Because everyone reacts differently to drugs, to different types of drugs. And that's been a big issue with, you know, prescribing uh, different medications for different reasons. Particularly, at least from my knowledge, in the field of psychology or psychiatry. Because you have um, certain drugs that are very successful with some people and very detrimental for other people and this is the same drug so being able to do this i think uh, will really help kind of the because at least in in psychiatry you have um a kind of a trial and error um approach to what what drug is being prescribed because you have let's say different types of antidepressants and uh different people respond differently to them right and they can have really bad side effects or they can work perfectly and there's no way really to tell uh, how it's going to work on the client or patient uh, and this new ai model can really really help you know um, so that misprescriptions aren't made and people can be treated more efficiently i think that's great finally for the last piece of research this is in quantum physics new research suggests our brains use quantum computation haha <laughs> so maybe captain uh, will one day actually end up beating scp without asking scientists from trinity college dublin believe our brains could use quantum computation we adapted an idea developed for experiments to prove the existence of quantum gravity whereby you take known quantum systems which interact with an unknown system. If the known systems entangle, then the unknown must be a quantum system too. It circumvents the difficulties to find measuring devices for something we know nothing about. So from my understanding, what they did was they, they basically exposed the human brain, right, 
to, to quantum systems, whatever that is. And if you get a response, there must be another quantum system in place, right? So, so I have a machine that emits quantum rays or whatever, right? And if a response comes back, then there is quantum. There is a quantum system within the thing you're you're uh, exposing the rays to, right? So they did that to the brain, and basically the brain had a quantum system of its own. It actually reminds me of a very very interesting talk. It, it was a talk given at the World Science Festival. Wow, in 2015 already. Uh, called quantum biology, the hidden nature of nature, and it basically goes into the quantum nature of biology, right? So we have, so, so there are some. I mean, it's hard to imagine. I mean, like that, like since there is a quantum realm, there must be some kind of level to everything in the world that is uh, happening at a quantum level, and so you have this quantum biology field, which is. Uh, I'm sure it's going to grow more as we, we as we understand quantum physics better. All right, now we get to the juice of the episode. Um, I was wondering what I should do the next episode on, and I was going through my library and seeing what book I should pick and uh, just go maybe take a piece from or whatever. And I saw Passport to Magonia, this book I read a few years ago, and. Uh, this was my first, I think, no, no, actually, I, I had read um, John E. Mack, Dr. John Mack's work, and through him I discovered Jacques Vallée, the author of Passport to Magonia, and uh, so who is Jacques Vallée? So he's an internet pioneer, a computer scientist, a venture capitalist, an author, a ufologist, and an astronomer. Uh, this guy is pretty much a genius. Uh... He wrote. He he won a um, Jules Verne prize. Verne, I don't know how you pronounce that prize for his first science fiction novel uh, called Le Subespace or The Subspace in 1961. So he was like 22 years old, and he won a Jules Verne's prize for that book. Um, very successful in academia and in business, and uh, he always had an interest in you know obviously since he wrote a science fiction book. At 22, he was uh, he always had an interest in this realm, you know, of UFOs, aliens, and also the fantasy or the folklore, right? I think he he kind of saw a connection between between the fantasy and uh, and uh, or, or folklore and mythologies to to modern day ufology. Um, even Carl Jung kind of made this. Uh, I I think he did this before Jacques Vallée, or at least came to the idea that the ufo phenomenon is a modern day myth in in the process of being created right so it's the 21st or the 20th century mythology right so you have folklore and myth from the middle ages let's say that involve fairies and elves and dwarves and different types of woodland creatures that would come and do mysterious things to the peoples in the village and um that was and 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 through those kind of experiences if you want their myth and their folklore developed and so carl jung basically says that the experiences that people are having in the modern days so the 20th and 21st century related to ufos are the same as these kind of older 
fairy encounters or elven encounters or whatever and that this is kind of a modern myth in the making so yeah maybe in 100 200 300 years from now people will be looking back at our time saying uh, what kind of magical creatures that they believe in and you know you'd have the gray aliens or whatever so magonia what is magonia um, it's part of the french folklore i'm pretty sure yeah of lyon in 18, eight, actually 815. Against, okay, so here it says, Magonia is the name of the cloud realm whence felonious aerial sailors were said to have come, according to commonly held beliefs denounced in the polemical treaties by Carolingian Bishop of Agobard of Lyon in 815, where he argues against weather magic. The treatise is titled, titled, is titled, De Grandine et Tonitrius. That's French though. Le Grandin et Tony Trui. On hail and thunder. So it's it's basically this realm, right? Uh, and he's, I guess, Jacques Vallée is just using it as this kind of, not standard, but kind of a example of, you know, the, the, the worlds of myth, right? Like there are many worlds existing in myth, right? Magonia is, is one of them and, and Jacques Vallée being French makes sense to choose one of the the mythical worlds to refer to his book in so i'm gonna be reading uh, excerpts from the book and i'm gonna read this one here so on june 17 1790 near alenson france there is an apparition so strange and so disturbing that police inspector liabeuf was instructed to make a thorough investigation. His, his report reads thus in part. At 5 a.m. on June 12th, several farmers caught sight of an enormous globe which seemed surrounded with flames. First, they thought it was perhaps a balloon that had caught fire, but the great velocity and the whistling sound which came from that body intrigued them. The globe slowed down, made some oscillations and precipitated itself towards the top of a hill, unearthing plants along the slope. The heat which emanated from it was so intense that soon the grass and the small trees started burning. The peasants succeeded in controlling the fire which threatened to spread to the whole area. In the evening, the sphere was still warm and an extraordinary thing happened. Not to say an incredible thing. The witnesses were two mayors, a doctor and three other authorities who confirmed my report in addition to the dozens of peasants who were present. This sphere, which would have been large enough to contain a carriage, had not suffered from all that flight. It excited so much curiosity that people came from all parts to see it. Then all of a sudden, a kind of door opened. And, there is the interesting thing, a person like us came out of it. But this person was dressed in a strange way, wearing a tight-fitting suit, and, seeing all that crowd, said some words which we were, said some words which were not understood and fled into the woods. Instinctively, the peasants stepped back in fear, and this saved them from and this saved them because soon after the sphere exploded in silence, throwing pieces everywhere, and these pieces burned until they were reduced to powder. Researches were initiated to find the mysterious man, but he seemed to have dissolved. That's pretty crazy, right? 1790. June 17, 1790. That's like 250, 230 years ago. And, and this is a report by a police inspector, right? And there was a mayor. And I mean, I, I get the tendency to say that 
um, reports like this are usually crazy people. And, okay, fine. But this guy's the police inspector. You have the mayor there. You have, like, two doctors, he said. A doctor, two mayors, actually, and three other authorities. Uh, it's it's crazy. You know, I, who knows what happened? Maybe, who knows? Maybe it was a time traveler. Let us follow the strange beings across the world now, to Mexico, where an American anthropologist, Brian Strauss, from Berkeley, reports that the Tzeltal Indians have strange legends of their own. One night, Strauss and his Indian assistant discussed these legends of the Ikals, the little black beings, after seeing a strange light wandering about in the Mexican sky. The Ikals are three-foot-tall, hairy, black humanoids whom the natives encounter frequently, and Strauss learned, about 20 years ago or less, this is a quote, about 20 years ago or less, there were many sightings of this creature or creatures, and several saw, and several people attempted to try fight it with machetes, one man also saw a small sphere following him from about five feet. After many attempts, he finally hit it with his machete and it disintegrated, leaving only an ash-like substance. It's like uh, ectoplasm. Like it was a ghost or something. The beings were observed in ancient times. They fly, they attack people, and, in modern reports, they carry a kind of rocket on their backs and kidnap Indians. Occasionally, Strauss was told, people have been paralyzed when they come upon the Ikals, who are said to live in caves, which the natives are careful not to enter. Crazy. So, France, 1790. Mexico, I don't know what year, it doesn't really say. Insanity, you know? It, it really is insane. And wh why I love this book is because it compiles all these stories together, right? Like, I, I like to think of, of data, what the, what the meaning of data is, datum, right? So, one, one piece of, of information, right? And people usually kind of poo-poo stories like this by saying, oh, this is just a, an analogy. And, um, okay, fine. One analogy doesn't mean fact, absolutely. But when you have hundreds on hundreds of analogies pointing toward something, all pointing in the same direction towards something unknown, then uh, I'm pretty sure that's data, right? that becomes data, I mean, that, that you compile enough pieces of evidence, not necessarily evidence, this isn't evidence, but this is evidence of experience, right? It's, uh, I, I'm very interested in this topic, because it's, it's not something you can empirically study, right? That's the biggest kind of issue with this, uh, with this field, or ufology, or whatever, because you can't study it directly. It's a very experiential thing. And the only kind of direct evidence we have, you know, not direct evidence, but the only only leading factors we have to show us that these things have happened are stories of people, you know. And fine, one story of a person is nothing but thousands, again, thousands of these stories throughout time saying something either about the human psyche or about the world. And I just find it fantastic that Valet um, compiled all these older... Because I've read other books where um, they're compilations of, of people from the, 90, uh, the 20th and 21st centuries' experiences. And they're all very similar as well. And um, if you're into the UFOlogy world, you'd know about this, that you have very different people from very different backgrounds having very similar experiences. 
um, and they're not exposed to any of this stuff before that so it really is a big question mark what the hell is going on right and here we have another case the Reverend Robert Kirk makes no bones about it the elves did at one time occupy the land today it is still a common belief in the north of Scotland that the Siths or fairy people existed once a belief that survives in their title good neighbors although they could occasionally be hostile to man here is an example while the Sith had no inborn antagonism towards human beings and were occasionally known to do good turns to their favorites they were very quick to take offense capricious in their behavior and delighted in playing tricks on their mortal neighbor neighbors these cantrips had to be patiently endured as resistance or hostility might lead to dreadful reprisals the kidnapping of children or even of adults an attitude of passive friendliness on the human side was therefore assumed to be eminently desirable it's very um, reminiscent or this is the the kind of yeah you know stories of elves stealing your socks you know these are these are derived from very old stories right smaller creatures playing tricks on people so a gaelic scholar campbell minister of terry published a story called na amhuisgian the dwarves or pygmies in which he remarks the existence of pygmies is unknown in some region bordering upon if not forming part of the kingdom of coldness is of interest as indicating some of the connection between smallness of person and cold climate and so leading to the speculations as to the first dispersion of human race and connection of the tribes that are now far removed from each other in appearance dress mode of life and dialects uh yeah so there's a bunch of different small creatures or small people like things um that have basically different cultures and languages and yeah here it says although the connection between climate and size is not a tenable hypothesis campbell's remarks do open the way to this interesting speculation yeah because i know that um um so you have during the ice age so like 20 uh, 12000 years ago you had um the mega mammals is that what they were called huge mammals right massive creatures and they were walking everywhere you had the woolly mammoth you had the like the the giant sloth you had the saber-toothed cat you had big animals right and they they evolved these huge sizes because um the smaller you are um the 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 less kind of volume you have inside right and uh, the bigger you are you have bigger volume inside and so you're able to to uh, carry heat more effectively right so you can survive in much colder uh, conditions and that's why you have these big old animals during the during the ice age so yeah i don't i don't i don't necessarily see that they became small because of the cold uh, i don't know okay so here we have a more modern story during november december 1966 west virginia was plagued by a similar bird called the mothman yeah i've heard about the mothman by imaginative reporters one witness 25 year old thomas uri who lived in clarksburg met the creature at 7:15 a.m on november 25 1966 in the vicinity of Point Pleasant, it was a large gray thing which rose from a nearby field. It came up like a helicopter and veered over my car, he told John Keel. Spent many days in the area investigating the reports. John Keel, interesting fellow. We should look into that. He accelerated up to 75 miles per hour, but the bird, quote-unquote, 
was still there, casually circling the car. According to the other witnesses quoted by Keel, the figure had large, round, glowing red eyes. On January 11, 1967, Mrs. McDaniel saw the bird herself in broad daylight. She was outside her home and she observed what appeared to be a small plane flying down the road almost at treetop levels. As it drew closer, she realized it was a man-shaped object with wings. It stooped low over her head and circled a nearby restaurant before going out of sight. Okay, so you have all these weird um, encounters, and it's it's they're all kind of different, you know. The first one was, uh, well, not all too different. I mean, most of them were about little little people, kind of dwarven people, right? You had the in, in Mexico the Ikals, then you had the the pygmy dwarves or the dwarves or pygmies in, in Scotland. And here in West Virginia, 1966, you have this Mothman. Um, so another thing Jacques Vallée is um, known for is generally people think, when they think of aliens, they're like, oh, it's coming from another planet, right? They think of, of space as a kind of, you know, space, as moving from point A to point B. But Vallée kind of he was one of the first people to say that this might be an interdimensional thing right so you know we occupy a very small sliver of reality you know if you look at physics and if you look at the makeup of the universe you would see that the 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 matter that we're made of uh, comprises a tiny percentage of of reality right of the of the universe and also that our sensory input is so limited to, let's say, certain frequencies of light, of sound, of vibrations, right? So we really are experiencing a very tiny little sliver of reality. And there's more. There's more uh, frequencies higher than what we can perceive and frequencies lower than what we can perceive. And so maybe there are intelligences existing or entities or whatever existing in those upper and lower vibrational uh, worlds right so you know think of, of the visible light spectrum right i know i know that so for example this is a nice thing i like to give an, as, as an example bumblebees are able to visually perceive infrared right so they see infrared as light but humans, we can't perceive infrared as light. Instead, we perceive it as warmth. So what the bee perceives as light, we perceive as a sensation or a tactile sensation. It just goes to show you how differently, different forms of life can perceive reality, right? So just because I'm seeing my laptop in front of me, a vastly different creature could be hearing my laptop. That's just an example, but do you, I, I hope my idea is getting across. And I think Jacques would agree with what I'm saying, or maybe I'm agreeing with what he said already, that, um, yeah, there are multiple dimensions, and, and these dimensions are occupied by uh, other things, you know, other people, creatures, whatever. And maybe maybe there is some kind of um, passages or, 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 or mobility that can be accessed to these different dimensions. 
I don't know. We we it's 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 like I said a huge question mark. And my passion for this um, topic is that I don't think we're ever gonna get an answer. And it's just fun to explore and and it really um, it's like a, a brain game, you know. What could it be? It's hard to say. So yeah, Jacques Vallée. I I strongly suggest getting this book, Passport to Magonia. It's full of just really cool experiences of people and uh, you don't have to take it for truth you know it's just interesting culture right you're, you're getting different mythologies and different uh, folklores from different cultures around the world and through time and it's just interesting to see the similarities in these experiences um yeah so maybe this episode was a bit more serious than uh, than what i'm, I'm usually making because i like to make a lot of jokes oh yeah but I felt like covering something a bit more serious and uh, yeah, something more interesting, something you can you can just sit down and listen to and be like, wow, that's pretty cool. Learn something new, you know. I hope you did learn some new things listening to this. I hope it was interesting. I'm gonna end this episode with another joke. Uh, this a professor uh, of mine said this joke once, and no one in the class understood it except me. And I find it, it's such a hilarious joke. And you have to know a bit about uh, ancient Greece to, to get the joke. So this is how it goes. Okay, in ancient Greece, how did they separate the boys from the men? With a crowbar. Thank you for listening. Um, I started a Twitter account at Oshotha, Instagram at Oshotha. You can uh, email me at oshotha at gmail.com and we also have a subreddit r the osho yeah um is there anything else i want to i want to say um i guess not well until next time peace